You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. I got a bad feeling about this. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! He's looking at you, kid. What we got here is a failure to communicate. You could ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? a lot of topics deeply but fewer like it, it really mm-hmm. drills down on a few topics i think a few topics yeah well if any, i mean i'm actually interested in you saying a few because i'm coming back to like one two maybe <laughs> i mean I'm, I'm exaggerating i'm lumping some things together but like okay if you had to pick one what do you think the theme of the movie is Ooh, actually that's tough i was i was more that i my notes have a, just a, a couple ones that i go like specifically into but um I'm not. I'm not punt on that one. Actually, <laughs> I mean, to me, everything, everything in the entire course of the movie came back to the basic ideas of of imprisonment and then police brutality in America. It seemed to just be that over and over for you know eighty some minutes. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I think it's eighty eight, eighty nine minutes, and all I could think, and I actually thought this uh, like. 20 minutes in, and then nothing that happened after convinced me otherwise. It really just feels like a high-concept short film. I mean, it's easily twice as long as it has to be, and that's probably being generous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll definitely agree with that. A lot of the... Because um, what they would do to keep it going is have new interviewees come in, uh, and then they would have the... Okay, so I guess I can't really even get into the movie without talking about <laughs> how I viewed the tri- tribunal, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. So the tribunal... Okay, so both sides seem to be kind of, and I'm not actually using this in a derogatory word, caricatures, although yeah. I guess the tribunal was more of a caricature than the, um, the uh, let's say the accused, I guess is what they called them. Uh, so mm-hmm. each of the accused was kind of a caricature of a trope, I guess, of the time of um, young, uh, liberal, maybe partially communist uh, thinkers. And then the tribunal, uh, the actual tribunal was, each of those was kind of a caricature, like the working class man. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kind of the moral, uh, uh, the moral housewife and everyone. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so that was kind of like the way it would happen is they would have the person come up before the tribunal and it would be each of those tropes would interact and you'd hear the interaction between, uh, like they had one of the, um, one of the more, um, uh, communists. I, I want to have better words for this because especially at the time, that's a really charged word, but talking to the working class guy about, Hey, um, you're you are being manipulated by the system you're taking home pennies while uh the people you work for are taking home hundreds that kind of thing and so you'd have those interactions where this is the trope of uh this is the trope interacting with this trope and this is kind of like a back and forth between them and that's really cool for a time capsule kind of idea maybe to see how that um caricature would interact with another one at the time but i don't i don't know why that part would matter to you so much at the time it's, right. it's weird. There's a lot of things in the movie where I think they would have been much better at the time. And also things in the movie I think would be much worse at the time. And that was mm-hmm. one of them. 
I'm glad you mentioned the time period because uh, I watched this on Amazon Prime, which incorrectly listed it as uh, being from 2011. <laughs> so I thought, okay, that explains why I've never heard of it, first of all. Um, and I'm like, okay, so it's just done in a style, right? And I'm watching it, and I'm mm. like, oh my god, they nailed it. Like it, this, I, no, I was genuinely shockingly impressed. I'm like, the hairstyle. Like, did they just ask people who had '70s hairstyles and they got all the, and even the grainy footage? I'm like, it doesn't even look like affected new footage made to look right. grainy. I'm like, this is unbelievable. And then I just, it turns out they just mislabeled it, and it's really from 1971, and I felt stupid. But at least, you know, at least I was right in saying it looked authentic. Um, but you're right. There's like an out and out pacifist. There's a guy who just didn't want to go uh, into the draft. Um, there's like the singer songwriter who she, I think she was probably the most overtly communistic person. There are other people who are just concerned primarily with minority violence and things like that. Um, they all sort of had their own little pet issue. And on the council, absolutely, there was one guy in particular who I think we were supposed to be most sympathetic to, who seemed like a working class guy. And he kept coming back to themes of like, "Hey, we got it pretty good here. You know, why would you fight a country that's so much better in these ways?" And he wasn't. He didn't seem to really hate any of them. It's more like he didn't get it. Right. Mm-hmm. And he right. didn't even really like being there. He was just saying, this is my duty. And so he was right. actually – his character kind of lined up with that whole way. It's like, I'm just doing my duty here. Like I don't like yelling at these people or being yelled at, but this is what I'm supposed to do. And that's where he didn't understand the other people. It's like, why aren't you doing what you're supposed to do? Right, right. I, I had two like big um, pacing issues with this. Uh, obviously, I already mentioned probably just way too long. And – Related to that, or maybe resulting from it, I'm not really sure, is that it just ramps up very quickly. Like, mm-hmm. the kind of stuff you're seeing in the beginning of the movie is pretty much exactly what you're seeing all the way through. Whereas you'd expect right. it to sort of build, right? Like, there'd be these confrontations, and people would argue, and they'd get tenser and tenser. And then at the end, you'd have actual, you know, yelling right. and screaming and violence. But they're yelling and screaming, like, immediately. The the one thing about that that's, that struck me as odd in terms of, like, the, you know, the sort of plot structure of it is, is that we see, like... Uh, a number of people die in the park, like uh, early and mid in the film. Yes. But it never shows it until late. It's sort of like building this artificial climax of, you know, people have already died, but you haven't seen it. You haven't had to like look at it yet. And then at the end, you, you like actually see, uh, you, you know, you see them uh, shoot people and be brutal to them because that's like the, the climax. All this stuff has been happening before, but they sort of cover that up to try to build something. Yeah, like, it it feels like we're supposed to be shocked by the big twist ending that the park is rigged, but it wasn't shocking yeah. at all. It feels obvious no. from the get-go, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And I think that, you know, hits on, like, I, I, I would say what was my, like, major uh, problem with the film, in addition to what Slappy said about the whole, uh, you know, every character being this certain type of trope, is that it's, the movie sort of, you know, pretends to be, you know, it's a mockumentary of sorts, and it's a mockumentary by a, a British filmmaker about American justice system. And so really it, it being made in that time period, I didn't understand, you know, what the point was for him to just create all of these easily identifiable tropes and put them together, just clashing at each other, not, not really talking uh, versus like, you know, going out and doing real interviews with people and talking to people who have actual opinions rather than what he sort of views as the American uh, legal system and the American insurrection and all of that. So it felt really like the mockumentary part of it didn't like work for me. It wasn't very effective. I thought it was sort of a cheap way out of uh, accessing what's really going on. Yeah, I you brought up two things I really want to address there. One is that, um, like you say, why not do a real documentary? Because this film's kind of in no man's land. I mean, normally a film like this 
it would be like a sci-fi thing or a speculative fiction thing where you would take some present-day trend and you would extrapolate it into some dystopian future, right? And obviously mm-hmm. that can be a little simplistic, but the whole point is you can make a point with that extrapolation that you can't make with reality because reality is never as bad because you're warning us about where reality could head. So it doesn't get any of the benefits of that because it's trying to seem sort of realistic and it's set in the present day. On the other hand, it's not an actual documentary and it's not that close to reality because we never ended up doing anything, thankfully, <laughs> anywhere close to this. So it doesn't get the benefits of verisimilitude, and it doesn't get the benefits of, like, speculating and extrapolating either. It's just sort of in between, so it doesn't feel realistic uh, or fantastical, and I'm, I really feel like it probably should have picked one or the other. Right, and I, I, I thought it was, um, just to bring up, like, a bit more into, like, the, the formal aspects of it, um, I mean, you mentioned before, like, the, the grainy quality of it, and, and that um, that's because the film was I'm pretty sure transferred from shot in 16 millimeter and then transferred to 35 millimeter. So 16 millimeters, obviously much lower resolution. So when you transfer it up, you get a lot of grainy qualities. It's not necessarily a bad thing. And you, it would look just as grainy if you made a film on 16 millimeters now and try to upscale it. But um, that's where that comes from. But also I was, uh, as far as like the, the structure of, of, of shooting, it seemed really unusual for them to be going for, this documentary style look where they're, um, you know, they have like this verite type camera where they, where it's always like constantly moving or shaking between things. It's meant to be just a person actually there. But then like during all of these sequences, there's more like a montage style editing where you see where, where it like cuts rapidly back and forth between the court and what's happening in the park and between different people in the park. And it seemed really unusual because montage is, uh, sort of the more like intellectual, not very uh, realistic brand of of editing, and then this verite style camera is supposed to be, you know, sort of consistent with the with the longer take structure, more like focused in reality. So I thought that was a big dissonance that um, in the in the formal technique that related to why I thought the mockumentary part of it was so weird. You're right. There's like this weird struggle between whether or not it wants to be political or art, whether or not it wants to be like, you know, a painting or a pamphlet sort of. But I'm glad you brought up the editing because that's one thing I want to unambiguously praise, actually. <laughs> um, it's definitely uh, dissonant with the with the shaky cam, uh, the verite. Um, you're absolutely right about that. But I also feel like it was completely necessary because if you think about how it kind of dragged on as is, imagine if it weren't jumping from scene <laughs> to scene. You know what I mean? Like, I actually felt like the the editing felt remarkably modern, which is another reason I didn't realize right away that it was from 1971. <laughs> um, it felt like it really, you know, older movies tend to have scenes that drag on a lot more. Um, and in this, it really never let any of them get too stale. They were stale because they were repetitive, but the scenes themselves uh, never dragged on too long. Mm-hmm. I agree. And there was like one of the shots uh, that stood out was... Um... The guy talking about how he just doesn't want to die, and then it would obviously cut to him just dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It might have been a little on the nose, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, also- I mean, it definitely helped with helped with the pacing of it. But when I like sat down after after watching it and thought about like what it was actually trying to do, I mm-hmm. thought that it had like a real, you know, the formal editing going on had a real dissonance with what it, you know, wanted to say. So. Which is a big problem for a film like this that's sort of, well, first of all, playing with form like a mockumentary mm-hmm. does, right? Um, you, you, it really needs to have a more cohesive vision of how real it's trying to be. You're right, it works in the moment, what we're talking about, but it doesn't work when you step back and think about the thing as a whole. And referring to the mockumentary thing that you mentioned earlier, I was I, as soon as I saw that it was from 1971, and some people were calling it a mockumentary, I thought, 
that's 13 years before Spinal Tap, which is <laughs> wildly heralded as being the inventor of the mockumentary. So that got me thinking about what a mockumentary actually is. And mm-hmm. Obviously, it's a portmanteau of mock and documentary, right? So the broadest possible definition is, is that it's anything styled like real footage that isn't real. But then I thought right. that could encompass found footage or <laughs> yeah, alternate histories like this, right? I mean, if you tweaked it a little bit, Watchmen could be you know, a mockumentary. <laughs> so the best definition I came up with that seemed to fit what we intuitively use it uh, the way we intuitively use it, is that it's any fake documentary that you could treat as real without upending reality. So mm-hmm. Punishment Park can't be a mockumentary because it creates a whole new political reality. But Spinal Tap can be because you could just imagine that it's about about a band you just happen to never have heard of. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the only thing I could come up with that makes sense of this and why people don't treat this as a mockumentary. Right. The other thing is it doesn't really mock anything, though. Like, it's <laughs> things like Spinal Tap is, you know, it... it it upends on like a yeah, lot of, of I mean, ideas about like how bands act. It's not sort of like a comedic mocking, but it, it's definitely like it feels very it it feels very like uh like it's trying to mock several groups, but in a more sort of like angry way than in a poking fun at them, like you get in a Spinal Tap. Yeah, there's not really any satire. Um, and it definitely. If it was trying for that, it went out the window when the filmmaker himself, who's playing the filmmaker, yeah, <laughs> um, is getting angry from behind the camera at what he's seeing. It'd be one thing if he sort of did, uh, if it was all very dry and sarcastic, like you said, cutting from someone saying, I don't want to die to their dead body. That sort of has a mockumentary feel because it's almost funny um, in the irony and the juxtaposition Mm -hmm. and all that. But when he's like outraged and saying people are going to see this, at that point, I'm like, what am I, what am I even supposed to be feeling anymore? Is it just outrage for 90 minutes? I guess it's supposed to be, we're supposed to wonder about the international community at that point. Uh, which doesn't seem like it would matter in a moral case because it maybe it's trying to make two cases at once. Like both this is horribly immoral and also the rest of the world would judge us for it, which wouldn't really matter. It feel, that feels like a less interesting argument than it's just immoral. Like because they, they invoke the Constitution a lot. Other countries judging us based upon our constitutionality or whatever doesn't matter to me. It was whether or not it's constitutional or not, period. Right, so, right. I, which... It doesn't feel that effective. And I read that a lot of this was actually improvised, and they used a lot of non-actors. Um, and that was, uh, yeah, one thing that I was definitely wondering the entire time throughout how much of this was was scripted, because the director also was, gets writing credits for it, and how much of it was sort of people, uh, you know, just improvising and going on about what they think. Yeah, and Slappy mentioned earlier about, you know, the tropes of the time and everything, um, and I mentioned that they seemed very realistic, and apparently it's because, in a lot of cases, they were actually espousing their own views. So some of those people really were, you know, radicals of one kind or another, or, you know, extreme conservatives of one kind or another at the time. Um, and, yeah, I'm I'm not surprised, uh, Brendan, that you kind of picked up on that, too, because when you're watching it, it feels pretty real. Yeah. Um, but I think back to, you know, one of the, the, the broader points that I think that the film tries to make is sort of is the people or the, you know, the masses as sort of just animals in a zoo of this, uh, of the upper classes. Cause they, I, I watched, I watched the film twice. And the first time I heard like the, the head ranger call himself like the zookeeper or something. Mm-hmm. And then just like, it, and then with that in mind, I just like saw the whole thing and there's just so many references to, you know, they call people, they, they talk about training their children and calling them horses and all these different things that, yeah. you know, um, allusions to them being animals in a zoo or something like that. 
Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, that wasn't exactly subtle. Uh, God bless you for watching it twice, <laughs> yeah. by the way. Um, I'm not that it was a bad movie exactly, but it's not an easy movie to watch, whatever you think of it. Also, pretty overt about the uh, the racial side of things. I think every everyone in the tribunal was white, and only two police officers were black, and one of those officers was sort of arguing with the others about how this all seemed. So I think I counted literally one minority person in the entire movie who was okay with what was happening. Mm-hmm. I think the working class tribunal member, and maybe I'm just looking at the grainy footage, might have had a mixed heritage uh, Hispanic, mm-hmm. yeah. possibly. Yeah, you could be right. Uh, yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, but you, yeah, you couldn't. Oh well, even that would fit, right? Because he was the most sympathetic person on the tribunal. So there's a That's very true. there's a very clear racial divide here too, which was you know a bigger thing at the time. Um, not that it would... I don't mean racism was a bigger thing at the time. I mean specifically uh, class based race issues tied up with Vietnam. Was well, a much bigger fad, I guess, but um, but uh, that also makes sense more for the uh, the appeal of um, one of them talking like he could have meant two things when he's talking about they are you know yeah. you're getting nothing they're getting everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, also to the to the point about um, uh, whether or not to make this just a documentary rather than mockumentary, I also realized how much I associate the um, the white police helmets at the time with the um, with the video footage of the Chicago. DNC riots like that. I can't, Mm. I can't see those police helmets without immediately just thinking about them in Chicago in 1968 at the Mm. democratic national convention fighting with protesters. So I inherently see those, just those uniforms, those outfits as clashing with protesters because that's always when I see. Right. Yeah. That's the same time span. So yeah, three years before it's almost certainly deliberate. I had the same reaction to, I'm not, this is going to sound a little general, but any, uh, long-haired, brown-haired woman who looks kind of like a hippie, I think of Kent State. I think of the photo immediately, <laughs> yeah. right? And, of course, it's clearly meant to evoke all these things. Yeah, and Kent State is brought up uh, very literally at one point, yeah. Right, right, right. Now, what I'm wondering, going back to the film's reality, internal logic and all that, why record these hearings? Why let the filmmakers in? You know, maybe I was just annoyed by it, why, about about them holding the hearings because everyone argued really badly, and that's right. just like a pet peeve of mine, is bad ar- unfocused arguments where people talk past each other, and that was 90 minutes of just people talking and arguing past each other a lot. But it's really, but there, that, I want to give it maybe a little more credit there too, because it kind of has like a Big Brother 1984 thing where they don't want to kill them, they want to convince them. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? They want to break them somehow. That and they, they seem like at the time, I think that this was there's kind of been a shift in the um, I don't know, the the median uh, perspective since then, where at the time they th- intervention in the rest of the world. And uh, I, I guess, uh, well, they brought up sh- uh, chauvinism. And I actually had no idea about the origin of that term. That was really mm-hmm. well, that was like a very, very small thing. But yeah, <laughs> I, I went and immediately Wikipedia that after I was like, oh, that's pretty Um but it, I would say that the the center discourse where uh, people were much more open, like they were, I guess, much more prouder of their fierce patriotism, where mm-hmm. they they would think that they'd actually be able to convince people. Now they would be the, – the patriotism kind of takes different forms, but like the, they would always say we're always in self-defense, you know, and then they would just broadly include a lot of things in self-defense, where here mm-hmm. it's kind of like, hey, we're actually in an existential crisis um, against you know powers in the rest of the world, where now it's just kind of like, well, we're not an existential crisis, although some definitely still say they are, um, but rather that we were just protecting our in- interests. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it more more convincing than maybe it was. 
Yeah, the shifting of the political positions over time, I'm really glad you brought that up because, well, not to cut off my own sentence here, but Cricket chose this film, and it's a good choice because it's interesting, and he chose it, he said explicitly he chose it in part because of Donald Trump and because of, you know, fiery political rhetoric and some violence at rallies, and it just seems like a relevant sort of film, whatever you think about any of these people. And the thing that, so I couldn't help but see it through that lens, right? I couldn't help but compare it to things I'm hearing today. And the thing that struck me most, uh, going back to politics shifting over time, is that even though the protesters are ostensibly left and the tribunal ostensibly right, they both sound like Donald Trump at various points. Like, I, I thought that was just so interesting that that's changed now. Like, on, on the tribunal part, you get all these things about, like, well, we're, again, existential threat, and we're being besieged on all sides, and we need to protect our own interests and look out for Americans first. And then the leftists are saying, well, but the rich are getting richer, and the system is corrupt, and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I'm thinking, that's all Trump. Trump is on both sides of this argument now. So it's amazing that those were diametrically opposed before, and now they've been married into sort of this third thing in 2016. Watching something like this, can you realize how much how much of the rhetoric is essentially still the same, and on and on both sides, like now there's there's a huge push amongst young people to talk about um, police brutality and and uh, and racialized police brutality, and that's the same thing that they were talking about, you know, forty some years ago. Here, the points don't really feel that much different uh, to me. I just I agree with you, Chris. Uh, Chris, that it's just sort of like they, uh, you know, they sort of shift who's saying them or sort of form into one. Doesn't really seem like any of the points are are old points or new points, really. But it is so interesting to see the stuff after the fact and see people like you know with all this railing against something. And if you watch something like this, even knowing it was fictionalized, you'd think, man, what it must have been so divisive and polarized, you know, fifty fifty. And it wasn't. You know, there was there was they were still a very significant minority, which wasn't obvious at the time. But then it looks like this huge battle for the soul of America, and it turns out it was over before it started. Um, they And it's weird to watch these people now. We know that, and they didn't. They thought they had a chance. Um, not these people, because they were obviously fighting against something much more insidious, right? And, right. Um, but it's I, don't, I can't tell if that's interesting or sad or both. But it fits the futility of the movie, doesn't it? Right, but actually part of that makes it not futile to me is um, I, I'm always really interested in seeing movies that talk about the Cold War or some sort of like vague communist threat, that kind of thing. Because it's weird to me because... Since I've been alive, it basically hasn't really been brought up. It's, it, it still exists in different forms, but as far as the direct threat where people bring up the communist threat, it's pretty light now. Like We kind of feel like that battle's over. Yeah, right. exactly. And, the, and movies about the USSR, they, they don't ever really even consider that the USSR would ever go away. Like There's, there's a bunch of movies from the, the 70s that go at like 200 years in the future like the, where giant right. robots fight each other. And it's still the USSR and uh, in America fighting. And so they, they can't even see outside of that, which I, I would not be able to myself. Like It would be, uh, not to bring it off of kids, it would be like seeing a movie in 30 years and to be like, oh, I remember Islamic terrorism like uh, that, when that was right. a thing. You, like, you'd make the same assumption right now. If you said a movie 20 years in the future, you'd still assume there'd be some sort of Islamic sect that we'd be in conflict with, right? And not right. that there wasn't Islamic terrorism at the time right, of this, right. or that, that there's not other stuff going on, or... Yeah. Right. Well, and that's interesting, too, because I... I um, again, you can look at this however you want to. You could say, wow, look at how crazy it was that we were so worried, and, you know, everything turned out fine. Whether or not it was going to turn out fine is another matter. But um, my conservative friends tend to take the other tack. They're like, oh, we're only considering certain policies now because everyone who's thinking of voting for Sanders never lived through the Cold War, never lived through the existential threat. So to them, it's this academic question, right? It's 
it's like, why not try mm-hmm. X? And the older people are like, well, we fought X, you know, and so th- and, right. and then that's why you get this ridiculous generational divide even within one party now. And that actually reminds me of my own grandfather who the my grandfather was a was a was a really nice guy, but uh he was definitely I would a little bit of a fascist. <laughs> like uh, I I think he was a he was, I loved I loved him a lot. That's a tremendous uh, uh, butt by the way. The, the, <laughs> you're trying to like balance the two sides of that sentence, right. you know. He was a really nice guy, but a little bit of a fascist. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll definitely give him like he had he was a, like he was a he he had dementia, uh, and he was the best person to ever get dementia because he was always so happy. Like I'm just worried if I ever got dementia, I would just be cruel to everyone that uh, <laughs> right. went on with it. But when he would describe this era, like um, I maybe if I watched this movie now and I hadn't hadn't have known him, I would think that the the caricatures of the tribunal would be way over the top. But I also know that he was a he was a uh, he worked at UC Berkeley, and he was one of the people that put up a fence around People's Park. And he hated uh, that generation of people. And much to his dismay, his son became one of those Berkeley students. <laughs> uh, oh, no. But he told me a story where he saw a uh, like a UFW organizer getting beaten in a stairwell. Oh. And what he said was, hit him again, harder. Like, wow. And this was just such a... Like, and he told me this where he was like, I got to see something good happen it wasn't and like it was just, i regret this or regret it for right, the rest of like, my life well, like why didn't i do something it was hey this is my side winning and it was just there i just don't understand the mindset and i the the thing that really is weird about it is i know he's a good person right right, um, right. and but it's just like the i'm not sure if it was the mindset at the time of fearing communism and this is just this was just a person that was undermining our ability to defend ourselves. Or well, I think you already said it. You already said it with the existential threat thing. Like, what would we justify if we literally thought our existence was at threat? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, what would you do to actually defend the existence of a of a free nation that happened to be the one you lived in? You know, it it's it's harder for us to comprehend because we've literally never had that kind of threat. We've never even felt like terrorism was that kind of threat. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad you say that about him still being a good person because we don't know what we would think in that situation if we really were genuinely convinced like, wow, this could all come crumbling down. And I right. guess this movie is a pretty good little window into that. I, that actually reminds me of like Atomic Bombs too because mm. like there's all these movies yes. like come up around in like the 50s about the uh, almost seemingly inevitable destruction of the world because if someone's going to set off a bomb and we still have these bombs and we probably well we have more much more than the 50s maybe this and more movie. people have them right and but we don't actually see that many nuclear movies i mean the the biggest nuclear movie i can think of the last year was a reboot of you know like old nuclear movies so maybe we've moved past that kind of one uh but that seems weird when it's still I don't know. Well, how about this? Maybe. How about this for like a cultural corollary kind of thing? If a problem is, has received enough attention that people are making movies warning about it, it's already not a problem anymore because everyone's <laughs> very aware and will be very careful. Mm. So right. by definition, every one of these dystopic futures ends up looking silly in 20 to 30 years, be it this or Soylent Green or whatever, because <laughs> if we've reached the point where movies are being made about it, uh, we are well aware of the problem and we're taking steps to avoid it. Yeah. So I, I would want to – I kind of want to hear about um... – why you think that Punishment Park exists at all? That's a great point. Yeah, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. Well, I don't know, Brendan, do you want to go first? Uh, I'd rather hear what you said and then <laughs> have a little bit of time to stew in it myself. Yeah, I probably should have thought about this more because it occurred to me a couple times and then something else would happen in the movie that would kind of yeah. get me thinking about something else. 
I think it's it's about breaking their spirit. You know, you have to hold out that false hope. You have to give them the sort of uh, Hobbes's choice, right? You know, do you want this or this? And it turns out they both result in the same thing. Uh, they both result in rotting away in jail at best or death at worst. So you need to give them that false sense of hope in order to crush them because they're not actually about stopping protesters or killing protesters. They're about breaking protesters. And that might be all the more the case because they're uh, letting this be filmed. It sounds like something about they were letting it be filmed to try to prove that their process was sound, although I really don't know how to square <laughs> that with the fact that it was rigged, but um, maybe I'm thinking about it too much. Well, it also seems like they didn't intend for it to be rigged, and it was just like... Oh, it, the cops took it into their own hands to rig it. Right. It's unclear whether or not the, the game would have been as violent if, right. it, if it wasn't... Like, they, they intentionally leave it unclear where is it... Well, was it the protesters that started it? Mm-hmm. Like, if, uh, if they hadn't killed the officer and taken the guns, which... Now all the protesters to the to the officers could potentially be armed and violent. Uh, they don't know which that's, one. That's are. the pretext for for the violence after that. Right. And right. One of the things that I was thinking while seeing it is that we only get to see this one group sort of go through it. So we have no idea if this is the you know the normal case or the average case because their group like six hundred and thirty seven or something like that. They say you know so it's just like they're one of a ton of groups, but we have no indication of whether this group is like is typical or if this is you know something that oddly never happens i think they hint to it a little bit that it that it might be typical just in that like we get another batch of uh of uh of protesters that come in and they all go for the same thing they all go for punishment park essentially not knowing what it is but it's like you know it's three or four days rather than you know so many years in jail so i think people it was implied that people take it because they think that it's, you know, that it's not rigged and that it's only three or four awful days rather than years of years of awful. But right, it, it's hard to it's hard to say what like the actual reality of of it is, or if it's meant, um, or if this was just some sort of edge case that they yeah. that happened for for the sake of uh, the camera people. Being. Yeah, I think I think this is another one of those things where the filmmakers' point, the argument they're trying to make, is overriding the movie's internal logic because mm-hmm. you, I can't really come up with a, a good explanation as to why it exists in the movie's own world, but I can come up with a good explanation as to why it exists thematically because the whole idea is well, you know, the system the system as a whole, like economically, you know, militarily, all of it is rigged. So we're going to give you the illusion of choice, but either way, you're screwed. Um, mm-hmm. So it fits that. It doesn't fit its own internal logic, though. And I guess if it were, you know, a slightly better movie, it w- that would dovetail, right? It would it would elegant elegantly do both rather than have to pick. Mm-hmm. I, uh, the the thing that I thought of is um, I thought of uh, the Dark Knight Rises, where I thought of Punishment Park as the the, the pit that you climb out of, <laughs> and then when you get to the top, it's just I don't know, like Leonidas back in there, like stomping on your face <laughs> and just kicked you back down. <laughs> I gotta also say that they just need to come up with a better name than Punishment Park. Yeah, uh, it's that's a very very non subtle name for it. So, well, that it's not Rehabilitation of... Park. It's not you know <laughs> there are a number of other politicized words that they could have gone with. Yeah, that's another thing too. Like they, um, the council gets angry very easily, and I wonder if it would have made more sense to just have it be disconcertingly calm and bureaucratic and, right. you, know, you know what I mean, indifferent to the suffering, which is how these things usually go. People usually turn this thing into a job. The fact that they're mm-hmm. angry, you know, I don't, if that were somehow a real system, it would never last if the participants were that angry. It would right. blow up, it would implode, it would fall apart, it would never mm-hmm. last unless it became uh, dull to the people operating it. Yeah. 
but I think I think part of the purpose with, with the with the name was supposed to be that they're you know them going there is them turning it over from these bureaucrats to these police officers and the bureaucrats all are like they're angry but they're not but they're not physical at all they have their own wills but they don't express it very physically um and then punishment parks parks like a, a different issue where now you have these these people who think independently and are, can be clumsy and make mistakes and now they're like expressing themselves physically on everyone but yeah i will say that one little thing about this film it actually kind of leaves me hopeful which is that every time i see a film about the past that thinks oh my god things are terrible and look where <laughs> we're headed it never comes true entirely mm-hmm. right there are problems but they it generally seems to be getting better and it certainly ne- is never as bad as the movies say it could be so as much of a bummer as this movie is and as big as those problems were, if you think, wow, if even that can look a little quaint a few decades later, how many things that are terrifying now are going to look okay in the end, you know? So yeah. I found that kind of optimistic, actually, uh, that's a counterintuitively. That I, yeah, that's a lens that I, um, when, when looking at modern-day politics and things that are going on, that I'm always, like, interested in thinking if, like, if I can sort of get that outside perspective. So, like, you know, I always wonder, like, how much of what we hear about like North Korea is propag- is Western propaganda and how much of it is actually this you know, awful <laughs> dictatorship. You know, there's yeah. things that we don't know much of anything about that. I'm just w- wondering like what that distance will do, but you can't really know that in the present. Yeah. It's good to get outside that bubble. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that you should read two old books for every one new one, because the, <laughs> the new ones are telling you more things that you already know or are already aware of. But when you step outside of your own time period, uh, it becomes obvious, you know, the sweep of history makes it a little more obvious that we're pretty much always overreacting to whatever is in front of us. And another thing about the the name is I'm glad you brought up like the names of rehabilitation park and punishment park or deterrent <laughs> or deterrent park or yeah. isolation park is um, that that was kind of one of my big reactions to the movie. If I had to pick a single theme, I would pick uh, that it's a movie about retribution as a the- as the gui- guiding theory of justice over mm-hmm. over rehabilitation over uh, isolation over deterrence because mm-hmm. one it, it can't function as a deterrent because you're given the choice to do it um, so it, it if 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 the choice is at all reasonable it wouldn't work as a deterrent because it's only easing the punishment on the person uh, right it, it's not isolation because if you get out of the jail sentence you're back in the society quicker than you would be by serving up the the jail time. And so the main, the only things left are whether or not it can truly rehabilitate people, or if it's actually what I, what I think of more is clearly uh, retribution. Where uh, the people on the tribunal, one of the reasons I think they're allowed to get angry is they kind of enjoyed this. Like um, they, they wouldn't want to be cold because they're making, they're breaking the horse. Like it, mm-hmm. it's, uh, which does make it sound like rehabilitation, but. I feel like it's kind of like uh, I mean, it's like the the Andy, uh, you know, crawling through a mile of shit to come out clean on the other side. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's that kind of move where they have to they have to go. Through Except you this. get to the end and there's no opening on the other right, end. Of the yeah, exactly. there's just more shit. <laughs> That's I, I really can't think unless you guys have any other notes. I can't think of a better way to end this. <laughs> Are there any other random uh, observations or notes that you definitely wanted to hit? Uh, um, I have a couple, yeah. So okay, okay. Yeah, go. Uh, you go, go, go for it. Um, I I may or may not splice things <laughs> in or yeah. whatever. We'll see, because I still want to really end on the word <laughs> with a bleep. <laughs> I think a bleep should be the last word. So the first thing is, I was the parts that bored me were the survival parts because it was just a bunch of people running through a desert mm. uh, and talking about. I mean, it was bad, and I believe them that it was bad. But um, if there wasn't the uh, the tribunal spliced over that. 
it would have gotten old quicker, but it still got old because there were no interesting character arcs within the punishment park. Like I just, I, I, I thought about, um, someone brought a battle Royale in the thread and, um, I kind of I, I agree with the general idea, the tenor of it being sort of like battle royale because of the government coming in and kind of spoil or punishing spoiled people. Um, but battle royale had these really fun and interesting character arcs within the game, I guess you could say. Where there was none of that uh, to me, at least within this. Where there was some like there was like people going through a lot of pain, and then at the end, it being the rug being pulled out from underneath them, and that's like that that arc is I mean kind of unfortunate for them. But as far as like the game changing them, it doesn't really, we don't really see that. We just see them really frustrated at the end. I'm sure they're going to be more disillusioned and like, you know, a little bit more hateful towards government, but the game didn't change them. Like there should have been someone, for example, who changes their mind or he goes, oh, I don't know, maybe it's not worth it or something, right? Like someone who really does get completely broken by it in a different way or or who loses it and kills themselves or, you know what I mean? Like someone, you're right, who is genuinely affected Mm -hmm. rather than they believe the same thing in exactly the same way uh, coming out as they did going in, except maybe a little more fervently. Right. And the other thing, uh, well, first of all, I guess we didn't really touch on the the, the defense attorney uh, being kind oh, of the, yeah. the actual the moral compromise <laughs> yeah. center of the movie where it's like, regardless of what you think about either side, this is wrong. And that's kind of like the stand-in for the audience is just the defense attorney. Right. He's, he was basically Atticus Finch in a 70s suit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, he... I, I kind of liked, uh, I like he didn't have that many interesting, like he had a lot of like lines that I agreed with, but I wouldn't say they were necessarily interesting. Except for the, I like the, instead of reconciliation, we have chosen polarization. Uh, and I mm-hmm. thought that that was, that's kind of a line that will never lose its uh, relevancy, unfortunately. But, um, but yeah, it, it, I, that was an, that was an interesting little character that they didn't bring in that often unless they wanted to make kind of a big moral point. Uh, one at the beginning of, um, that there was some sort of defense, but it was kind of like, you know, not very much of a defense because they kind of didn't listen to him. And he was just mm-hmm. he'd bring up objections and immediately be silenced. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that, too, about the uh, that sort of that line standing out, because it's not a very quotable film, with the one exception being uh, the bald man with the beard. He seems to get a lot of good lines and he also doesn't seem very tired in the desert. I have to point out he <laughs> yeah. seems yeah. downright refreshed compared to the other people. Mm-hmm. And he got he said he said something about at various points in time, you know, I think you can serve justice or serve your country by being a president or a leader or something. And I think right now the best thing I can do is to be a criminal. And I thought, OK, that's all right, movie. It took you an hour, but that was a really good line. Yeah, I think he was the sort of sage of the group. He was the only he was talking it seemed the most reasonably also the most hydrated out of all of them yeah most hydrated most articulate yeah. i actually <laughs> briefly wondered if he was like one of the producers or the director or yeah. something until because i didn't know uh, watkins was british at first mm-hmm. uh so i kind of wondered because it sounded like he was the filmmaker mouthpiece more than any other one yeah. person like i don't think he improvised all that you know what i mean mm-hmm. i feel like those lines were written and a lot of the interrogations were not and the other interesting uh, quote that came out was um uh, I don't know if this is mean actually interesting, but when they talk about uh, criteria of just war, um, so they he uh, yes. the tribunal brings up uh, Aquinas the three criteria, um, and then he the the other the guy at the seat fires back with the fourth criteria by uh, Augustine. Yeah, uh, I see your Aquinas and I raise you an Augustine. Right, <laughs> yeah. exactly. But there's the interesting thing is um, while I I while I kind of like like that fourth criteria, the interesting thing is I don't think Augustine would. Um, would approve because Augustine is very much about you suffer the corrupt earthly governments in order to get a place in heaven. 
Uh, and he, there are specific lines. Uh, let's see. I, I went and actually looked it up because I was making sure I remember this correctly. Princes, soldiers, judges, provincials, rich or poor, bond or free, male or female, are enjoined to endure this earthly republic, wicked and dissolute as it is, so that they may, by this endurance, win themselves an eminent place in the most holy and august assembly of angels. So he was definitely not going to be on the protesters' side for this. <laughs> uh, and so I thought it was interesting that they brought up the fourth criteria when. The, the the tribunal could have fired back with a, well, Augustine also says that it doesn't matter if the government's wicked or not. You you have to endure it and then hope that you have a place in heaven. Well, it's interesting then because so that clearly they're cherry picking Aquinas, right? And then the right. protester is, or really the writer of the movie probably, yeah, is cherry picking right back, although probably without realizing it. But it it really makes sense if you think that the only point of that was really just to show that the protesters are educated. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that the the tribunal is not. I I think there could be a point to it that just like they're both cherry picking to fit their to fit whatever their beliefs are. They don't really care what those people thought. They're just backing up whatever thoughts they previously thought. I think the only other point that I uh that I had is that I just wanted to make a recommendation on that's on kind of similar lines to these, but I, I think um, a better movie in general. There's, uh, I watched it last month. It's called uh, Red Hollywood, which is sort of like a uh, an essay film type thing from Noel Birch, who's one of the um, great American film critics right now, I think. And that is basically it's examining all of like the uh, tribunals that they had on Hollywood directors and screenwriters that they thought were expressing communist ideas, and interviews them, and also like examines um, the parts of their films in detail, which they think contain what, what the courts were looking at that they never really revealed to us and like other things that they think got by them. And, you know, it's sort of trying to uncover this hidden meaning in uh, these, in these films that were trying to express something about their times while also being heavily, you know, criticized for it. Sounds like very good related viewing. Oh, before we go, uh, there was the request about ratings. I'll Uh, I'll go first then, because I think I, I put it like a solid, like four. Like, uh, four out, out of five? Uh, no, out of ten. Uh, out of ten? <laughs> oh, uh, where I put it just below like an average movie of enjoyability because I thought it was a, again. This is rating it upon my willingness to rewatch it and enjoyability. There's a lot of really interesting things, but when I rate movies, I rate them for how good I think the movie was, not how much I got out of it. Uh, and because you feel like you can extract interesting things if you really want to, really want to, but that mm. doesn't always say something about the movie. That is absolutely true. Uh, I think it was a really interesting choice, and I think I definitely think it was a good choice, and I definitely will second cricket, cricket that it's relevant. Uh, the movie will sadly continue to be relevant, but uh, I think you said it best earlier when you said this could have been a short 20-minute film and we would mm-hmm. be much better for it. All right, how about you, Brendan? If you had to put a rating on it, which is a, um, I, admittedly a silly concept for a film like this, I, I yeah. you know. Um, I'm, right now I'm, I'm feeling probably like a 2.5 or 3 out of 5. I don't, I don't know. Ratings, they, they don't tend to mean much for me. I know, I know. <laughs> Uh, I can't believe I'm going to be the highest of the three of us on this. I thought there was no chance that was going to be the case. I'm going to give it like a five and a half or a six, um, but not because I enjoyed it at all and not because, you know, it made any internal sense exactly, just because of the few ways it seemed like it was really ahead of its time. Like, even sort of inventing the mockumentary is worth something, you know, that much earlier than when it actually took off. And the modern editing I really like. I think the stuff about using, you know, basically real people with a lot of improvisational stuff, I think that's actually really inspired. And I think this movie is not so much a good movie as it is maybe an influential one. So I'm I'm inclined to give it an extra popcorn or two for that. All right. Thank you very much, guys. Yeah, thank you. It's good.
Wild them in the end, you got hit. You can have flaws, problems, but wild them in the end, and you've got a hit.